This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 189 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands-On Gloves, the all-in-one shedding, bathing, grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have, in my opinion, two of the greatest observers of equine behavior on Earth. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Welcome back, Debbie. Glad to be back in your your ecosphere of the Horse Radio Network. I'm <laughs> glad to be in it. Glad I, to be in what? it. I love that you call these observers of the equine, because I think that is one of the first things that was one that was one of the first light and I'm, I'm, matter of fact i'm going to take that back it was the first light bulb moment that i got from monty roberts um mm. and his because I, I saw him at a a demonstration and then mm. i read his book i didn't i had the book but i didn't read it because oh, i thought yeah. it was one of those foo-foo feel good you know uh, love yes. your pony because he loves you book <laughs> um, so i didn't i just plopped it on the desk and then I went and watched a demonstration um, and went, hmm, this guy's onto something. And then I read the book and I said, you know, I've been looking at horses my whole life. I'm one of those obs- horse obsessed people, but yeah. I've, n- I've really not honed my observation skills very well. Mm-hmm. I need to do better at that. And that, yeah. that was the light bulb moment that started me down the journey to, to learn more about his research and what he's done with horses and his method and things like that was being an observer and a really good observer. That's nice. Thank you. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think probably this episode, if it had a theme, would be about not only observation, but how a student can learn to be a better observer of equine behavior. So that's good. So listen for that. But also, we have to choose our horses in order to be a good student because remedial horses don't necessarily have um, a pure equine behavior because there's human intervention, right? Yes. Yes. mm -hmm. And that's part of the – an elementary level student is going to say – Whatever a horse does is the equine behavior I should study. But that's not necessarily true. That's why we're really careful uh, for the advanced course when we're really honing our students' skills. We want as pure an equus language in a wild horse as possible without a lot of human intervention because their reactions and responses are more genuine. They're not defensive. They're their survival instincts and their flight animal, of course. But they're not aggressive, generally speaking, because they haven't had to be. They've only, you know, chosen to to run away right, from right, humans right. at that point. So it's really interesting the difference between a remedial horse and their reactions and behaviors and a pure equus horse. And maybe a lot of people haven't thought about that before. Not a lot of people get to see um, a horse raised in a completely feral environment in in the yeah. language pure equus and maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense but if it doesn't keep listening because we're going to explain a lot of that in this episode <laughs> you know it would be fun sometime because you guys have hours and hours and hundreds of hours of video of monty working with horses and yeah. monty's students working with horses yeah um, students who are beginners as well as students who are advanced and it will yeah. be really fun sometime to take just two or three minutes or even 30 or 45 seconds of film mm-hmm. where you have a wild horse or a horse who has had no human interaction versus a remedial horse who has had negative experiences with humans go through just a few seconds of the same process mm-hmm. so that as a viewer who is not a very good observer yet, you can point out like, see what's happening here in these three seconds, whereas the same thing that should be happening in these three seconds, see the difference yeah. between the two, it like in a split screen. 
That'd be interesting. Yes, Jen, we could do that. And especially if you could, if you could do a very, very short bit, like 30 or 45 seconds so that you go, oh, there it was in real time. Now we're going to do the same split screen for people who really are not trained to see and observe and digest these parts of the screen. Look at this part of the horse or this part of the human. Sure. And wouldn't sure, that be fascinating and make it really, really short so you can really, really um, magnify it. Oh, that would be fun. Okay. We'll, we'll work on that in the video editing room because we do have a lot. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and that's why people have fun in, in the pasture too, because we'll, we'll do horse behavior um, markers, you know, mm-hmm. by observing. We just did that at the movement actually with 50 of our closest friends. We, we went out <laughs> in the pasture and uh, and got to talk about the herd dynamics. We introduced a horse that was raised on a mountaintop here in the San Inez Valley. Saw people occasionally, you know, when in the winter they dump some hay off, but not much. And they have to survive the cougars and the snakes and the whole thing. So they're very pure equus. And we were introducing them to a field of off-the-track thoroughbreds that had... Um, they had a very different experience growing up. Very yeah. different growing up. and But there's yet there is still... They had become horses again <laughs> out in the pasture. Hierarchy was happening, all of that. So we gave them one day in the sand paddock with the, the horse off the hill. And then we put them together. And while we did that, the, the whole group of us, 50 of us, were one end of this three-acre pasture and just started observing, toss out, what you're what you're seeing, you know, do you see any interactions that um, tell us anything? And it was really fun. Some people were quiet and didn't offer, and then other people who had been around horses offered a lot. And um, it it teaches you powers of observation, so it was really fun. And we also, of course, had Monty there and the instructors there to hint, you know, mm-hmm. and ask questions. And mm-hmm. so it's really fun. Cool. Yeah, so it's there definitely, you go. it's fun here. It flags up. Yeah. There you come go. you guys. It's Yet another reason to go class. to cool stuff there. Yeah. There yeah, we go. True. And speaking of cool stuff, before we get to our first guest, Denise, we're going to hear from our title sponsor, Hands on Gloves, because they are the clever, fun, comfortable, efficient, effective way to groom your, your horse, dog, goat, cat, um, ferret, uh, husband. Hu- Ooh, husband? Sure, why not? Well, I'm sitting here today with Jay Michelson of Hands On Gloves. And I, we were talking today about the horse that has sensitive skin or the animal that has sensitive skin, Jay. And I, I wanted you to help me address that a little bit. I know you've got some features to your products, but I know you know more about it than I do. So what do you do? What do you say to the the owner that has somebody with sensitive skin? Our gloves are made from surgical grade nitrile. So that makes them chemical resistant, mildew resistant, because you can bathe with them too. They're made to get wet. Um, But across the board, there's no latex in them. So it's great for any animal, any people that have latex issues. There's no latex in it. They're just your hands. And if you have a thin skin horse or dog, they're, they're cats, other animals. There are many animals that don't like to be touched in certain areas but having the gloves on it's just your hands you get immediate feedback if you get to an area of that animal that is sensitive and you can apply less pressure in those areas and you can apply more pressure in the other areas Um, we have professional grooms that work from us Um, they groom for olympians across the board and these guys are phenomenal and they did a study on mainly thoroughbreds, thin-skinned thoroughbreds, Mm -hmm. and they found out that most people are grooming too light. Oh, (laughs) interesting. they're tickling the the horses. and went in and applied just a little more pressure, and the horses loved it. Uh And that's kind of some of our experience with it. We we have all kinds of animals and experience with that. I think you can throw these in the wash machine. Am I right? You can. Next time you bathe your animals with them, use the gloves. A little bit of soap suds up all the way. And what we do after we bathe our animals with them, we rinse them off, hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Um, You can throw them in the washing machine. Um, Just don't put them in the dryer. And um, just throw them in the washing machine hang them out to dry, and they go back to new. Well, Jay, how do people find out about you? Handsongloves.com.
Denise has loved horses since she was five years old. She's traveled the world training horses as a specialist in teaching students to gentle horses and to help horses overcome phobias and remedial issues. A Monty Roberts certified instructor, in 2020, Denise was the recipient of the award from Queen Elizabeth II for her work to take violence out of the training of horses and also for her work on the Horse Sense and Healing Program for veterans and first responders. Denise is also a facilitator of the program called Lead Up, developed around Monty's concepts of join up and teaching peaceful leadership to the at-risk youth. Well, welcome. We have Denise Heinlein calling in all the way from Germany. Hi, Denise. Hi, Debbie. It's nice to talking to you. It's nice to talk to you, too. I know how hard this has been being, um, oh, gosh, I guess you're sequestered. You're you're in hiding over there in Germany and haven't been able to come back to California for some time. How long has it been now? I think almost two years. Like yeah. it's the longest time since um, 2008 since I started my education that I haven't been back to to California and to the farm and to see you and Monty and everybody. So it's really been quite a while, and I I'm desperate to come yeah. and um, <laughs> um, see you all again and oh, um, visit America. You. I know, and we got to get you back on the beaches and everything. I know some of the reasons you like to leave Germany is. Possibly the weather here is pretty, <laughs> pretty enticing. I know too. Yeah, that's true. Especially now, since we had like two weeks almost nonstop um, thunderstorm and rain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could escape a little bit um, uh, to the Californian sunshine. Yeah, and well, beaches, of course. <laughs> the beaches are great, but of course, what we're really excited about is um, getting you back here too. We're going through withdrawals too because we haven't been able to hold our advanced courses or our advanced students. You know, being able to to come from all over the world and and learn from you and learn from your expertise, and we really miss that too. And the horses miss you. So, and Chrome, you know, is waiting. Dad's horse. You get a little ride up on him. So, so we need you back. So I, I wanted to tell people, I know we've talked about the advanced course before on Horsemanship Radio, and we've even interviewed some of the advanced students and their reasoning for coming from all over the world to be here to learn the concepts of nonviolent horse training and what the roots of those are and how that gets to be imparted to. But I wanted today to isolate on you and your expertise and why why you uh, of all the the instructors out there, the circumstances that put your life together that that made you able to be uh, the most advanced uh, instructor that we do have coming to teach the advanced courses now. And um, I know you won't um, toot your own horn, so I'm going to toot it a little bit. But also, it's circumstances, not just expertise, that lent themselves to you. So give us a little of your horsey background. We like to start with that for anybody who hasn't heard your interviews before. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up with horses? Um, well, I, I did uh, fight for growing up with horses because in my family, I'm the only one who is really um, a horse lover. I mean, all my family likes horses, but they are not um, in the same category than I am in the horse crazy people category. So I think I was born with that passion um, about horses, I guess. Um, I started um, vaulting, I think is the word um, in English, to uh, when I was like four years old or four and a half years old because I really, really wanted to spend time with horses. And at that time, I was too little. And I think from uh, the age of four, it didn't stop. So I continued to keep riding. And with 13, I was um, lucky that I got a horse uh, from my parents, Apollo. I still own him now. He is like in his retirement. And um, I spent now the days with him, which is amazing. So that's the only positive part about not being able to travel. Yeah, that's true. That's what dad says, too, is being with your horses. How old is he now? He's 29. Oh, God. That's great. That is so great. And it it speaks to how well you've You've taken care of him all these years too, and um, I'm so glad that you you have had that time with your horses. Don't you think that is one little bit of silver lining that's come out of COVID? The one good thing. Yes, of course, to spend um, time with family and spend time at home and not be so busy. Actually, to have time to reflect and think about 
um, things in life. I think, therefore, um, Corona, yeah, I, I, I have talked to uh, many people who had that same um, experience to kind of just slow down a little bit. I think, therefore, COVID wasn't, um, that's the positive side of COVID, I would say. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. And we need to look for that <laughs> in these circumstances. But we've got you coming back now. I, your your visa is uh, good through these advanced courses, and we're we're hoping that the uh, powers that be in the government see to it that you need to stay with us. Something happened since last we spoke. An award that you received that spoke to how important your work is and how. It should be recognized for the nonviolent training that you've been doing, but also for the programs that you've assisted with our veterans as well. So talk a little bit about that certificate that you got last fall. Oh, my God. Yes, that was mm-hmm. something Emma, to open the, the post and um, to uh, receive a certificate um, uh, from the Queen of England that was like, such a proud moment in my life. I couldn't believe it. It was incredible. What did it uh, say? It did say, um, I could actually read it um, shortly. It says that um, the pet, Her Majesty the Queen, as patron of Join Up International, has been um, graciously pleased to recognize uh, this Heinlein representing Germany for her extraordinary efforts to reduce violence in the training of horses, her dedication to assist veterans and first responders with the post-traumatic stress, and the development of youth leaders by adopting Monty Roberts' concepts and initiatives. Oh, God. Sorry. Initiatives. Yeah, that's good. Initiatives. Oh, God. See, there (laughs) you go. My English is really rusty in some parts. I would love to well, hear that the Queen has heard this, but she might not. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was like a very special moment um, in my life. I admit it was just overwhelming for a moment. So therefore, I'm I'm so proud. Yeah, I am yeah. actually. And so I'm... grateful for everything what I have been able to, you know, work and do since, as you said, sometimes it's just circumstances to be there at the right time. and you know, be able to put the right amount of work into things and then, um, yeah, to receive like a certification like this. It's just amazing. Mm, Well, you deserve it. It's hard earned and very few people get it. So we're pleased and, and honored to have you on for that as well. Tell us a little bit about the passion that you see that gets you up in the morning for to do that kind of work. I mean, I know you love horses, but a lot of us love horses. And I know you love to teach, but a lot of people love to teach too. But what is it that you see in horses that you, you think this is why I set my life on this course? So to get up in the morning um, and, and do my work is because I can remember when I was younger and I really wanted to have some answers and help uh, from people how to understand my horse better and how I can communicate and what their needs are. And sometimes I did feel that there were not enough um, answers yet. So, um, and I, I know from, from the students um, who are coming from all over the world and they are a little bit in the same um, situation. They are looking for, for help for somebody who has been um, going through this kind of path already. And through the experience I gained throughout the years, I can, you know, kind of just shortcut um, their um, um, way or path um, by sharing everything what I've learned throughout the years with them. And yeah, and to be able, you know, I love to work with horses, but um, to be able to share the knowledge I have and I have gained to so many other um, people who have the same yeah, passion about horses um, just um, helps me to realize that I can reach so many more horses. So I can basically multiply um, my knowledge and how I would handle horses by teaching it to other people. So that's um, where it feels so great to lighten that, um, yeah, the Mm -hmm. light, um, no, the fire. And so they can go on and exactly teach 
another um, you know group of people and then mm. it kind of multiplies and we we will be able to uh, yeah help mm. the horses to be understood better mm, that, yeah you are inspired and i love that about you to be a little more even concrete I know that you've spoken uh, to people that have maybe been involved with horses at, at a pretty high level for decades, not just years, but decades, who felt that there was still a disconnect. What is it that they're um, missing and what do you recognize and what do you what do you help them with? Um well, I think the most important part is to really um teach people about what we are actually doing, what is riding, how do we manipulate um, the horse's behavior by, you know, kind of reinforcing every good um, step they are doing and showing them the way where, um, you know, we, we would not like them to go. So by just giving them the guidelines through our word, which is needed because they have no clue what uh, we um, make up of ideas what they should do for us so yeah, to horses. really get them yeah, yeah the horses yeah. of course yeah um, so to really um teach them the understanding and the um yeah the feeling and the timing and the horses um side of the um view um to be able to you know connect um and um yeah be in that dialogue in the direct dialogue and not just um I mean, uh, nobody should get me wrong, but um, in the beginning you learn, okay, this is walk, this is trot, you you ask there with the rain, you push with lag, but in what timing and in what situation you do what to be actually communicating to the horse and not just giving direction, I think this is like the main point where I am, you know, I try to reach the people to show them the difference. So if I understand you correctly, they're they're going through the mechanics of it, but there isn't a connection with the horse. Is that right? Um, yeah, maybe there is even the connection or they they love their horses, but still like the the knowledge of exactly knowing what we are doing with the horses to be able to answer um any question they ask us or we tell them anything what we would like them uh, to do so that it feels like that you are um, really having a dialogue with them constantly. So that's where I'm, I'm, I want to go and bring the people to. So they are really talking about equals and like um, to, so it gets like a language, you know, where they in the beginning maybe know how to say excuse me, where is the bus station? And um, <laughs> hello, my name is, and you can kind of have a, a little broken conversation. And then later on, for example, that's what we teach in the advanced course to really um, see and get fluent in in your language, talking back to the horses, but also to understand the horse so that you can get into a really deep conversation, talking about feelings and um, what's not um, going right, wrong in life, and so this is how I always uh, imagine it in in my life, uh, in my head, how how it feels, you know, when you are in a in a dialogue, in a communication with the horse like that. That's clever. So yeah, it's like learning a language. The first thing you learn is, you know, donde esta the baño, right? Where is the bathroom? Exactly. And, yeah, but but um, so when you're when you're looking for the ideal horse for an advanced course, then what do you like to see? I I imagine it's a, a bit of a younger horse then who's who hasn't had a lot of exposure to human communication. Maybe don't have preconceived notions of humans. I don't know what what is the ideal horse for for an advanced course like that? Well, we have two categories where we uh, like to work with. It's like the younger horse or, or a horse which has not been uh, taught that much. So it's really a basic education. So we can actually take the advanced course to teach the horse step-by-step step what um, their life uh, look like in a, as a riding horse, for example. So we we teach them how to um, give the hooves, how to uh, um, accept the first surcinker, how to accept the first saddle, how to be long line, so we can start to teach our horses what that means to be guided by um, by the line. So it's it then it's pretty 
easy for them to associate then um, the guiding of the reins, for example. So we prepare them for their ridden life um, step by step. So it's easy for the horse to, to follow us, but um, especially it's important for my students to learn how to teach the horse um, and um, to know the learning path of a horse and to also be very um, aware of when we need to, to stop and when we can add a little bit information to not um, bore them. So this is really essential by becoming like a horse trainer that you get uh, the knowledge or the feeling how uh, you, you know, transfer the information. They need to be like, you. we need to keep them motivated and curious and like um, very, um, yeah, open mm-hmm. to whatever we we like them to do. And that's only possible when we um, observe our horses uh, well and then, you know, um, do the next step only when they are ready for it. So it's their learning. We are only there to, you know, support them with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really um, like an important part of the advanced course. And then we also uh, have untouched horses in that time because especially we guys from Europe, we don't have untouched horses much. So mm-hmm. we have all of the domesticated horses um, who know how to be handled, who know how to be touched. And then I remember my first time when I was working with the Chanta, that was something so extreme and um, I've never had uh, that before. So to see how actually we need to teach a horse and that um, uh, touching or, or, you know, when we um, stroke them, is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Or pet? That's right. Um, that um, uh, they, uh, you know, they like it. It's not that a, a wild horse, an untouched horse is in the beginning uh, a, a fan of our, you know, uh, touching them. So they have to learn that our um, touch is nothing they have to worry about. And just that um, to, you know, realize that horses are actually flight animals and wild animals if they are not um, in our barns uh, and the the pure instinctive behavior to see how they respond. It's, it's yeah, it's just super it's incredible pure equus i think that is a special part of yeah a special part of choosing those horses that have have the pure language in them still not even remedial horses who have had negative experience with with humans but those that just have just fear of fear in them like a flight animal would it's instinctual it's not a bad thing it's survival but that they can come around and learn that that the predator, that's us, oops, is um, not such a bad thing in the case of humans because they actually become human rubbing machines and human <laughs> scratching machines. And and uh, I think they end up in loving you guys. And so it is important that you, you um, I think everybody's going to get excited now to even see what that looks like in an advanced course to watch people dealing in, in, in just pure aquas. What do you think is your superpower, Denise? Do you have like um, an area of horsemanship that you think is just instinctually yours, uh, the best you, you have in your body? Um, well, for me, I think I really enjoy it incredibly to work with, with youngsters, like with foals and young horses to teach them um, step by step the right uh, way or the path and like to sh- to see how they have fun with learning and like when uh, when the relationship gets um, or the bonding gets every time um, deeper and they really look forward for you to come like to to create that shift in the horses I I love it and I think I I'm yeah also quite good at it if I am allowed to say that you are allowed to say, I asked <laughs> no I agree I agree with you and it and it is wonderful to see you um, train those young minds what do you think you you gleaned from Monty what did you learn from Monty that made a shift in your horsemanship oh my god where to start oh. <laughs> I mean I I um, I remember when I was 18, I got like um, a ticket to go to one of Monty's shows. And um, that was the first time I've seen him live. And there I was already 
absolutely astonished by the way how quickly he gets um, the horses. He reads the horse's mindset. You know, that he understands horses so well that he needs two minutes to exactly know what he needs to do with that horse. And um, so that showed me that um, it is possible to, you know, understand this animal so well that you can um, work something or you you can, <clears throat> yeah, get the feeling of that individual so quickly that you know exactly what to do and how to uh, to help them. And this is something that was like such a aha moment for me. And then um, continuously, I mean, every time when I'm with Monty, I learn something. So I, I don't even know where to where to start. But I think his preciseness, is this a, is this a mm -hmm. word? Um, yeah. About, you know, how he observes um, the small little details that you are able to detect out of um, uh, what the horse is are telling us and um, where you can go further and when you have to stop and like the whole picture of like, um, yeah, reading the horse, this is just incredible. Mm, that's good. Well, that takes years and years and that's what you've invested too. So uh, you're on your way. Dad would say you've got about, you know, 50 years to catch up to him, <laughs> but, but <laughs> he's quite a bit older than you. He should have a lot of those skills um, just from being able to work with you um, over the years with so many decades. But it sounds like you've committed your life to staying with horses. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I am. It is, uh, it's such uh, a wonderful uh, work. And I, I just, um, every time you see the change in uh, like um, the glance, no, like the the shimmer of the horse's eye, you know, when they are um, not um, sh like not interested anymore, but they start to like, oh, what are you doing now? This is new. I have never had like somebody um, talk to me back like this or or um, realize what I've just said. You know, like when they in the few first session when they get really um, um, gosh, what's the word? Like surprised um, mm -hmm. that you are actually um, listening. That's like so funny to to observe that uh, you know when they are like, huh? I've never had that before. Somebody <laughs> doing to me that's really nice. Uh, yeah, just for this feeling, I keep on uh, working. Yeah, mm, that's incredible. beautiful. That's beautiful, Denise Highline. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for giving us a little insight into the advanced course and lucky students who get to be with you this September and October. We're looking forward to hearing some of their stories out of this too. And thanks for joining us. Hi, Debbie. I just had to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying Monty's podcast on Horsemanship Radio. You and Monty and your podcast guests are my company every evening while I'm feeding, cleaning, and finishing up barn chores for the day. I especially enjoyed the recent podcast 158 because so many of the guys that Monty talked about, and especially Greg Ward, were heroes of mine when I was growing up. It was really fun to be a fly on the wall listening to Monty recount all those stories. And I also enjoyed his discussion with Tanya Johnston about the deer and sigmotaxis. Thanks for all the great information you and your dad are spreading throughout the world. And thanks for making the time doing my barn chores, no chore at all. All the best, Nan Meek. Horse and Hound Magazine named Monty as one of the top 50 all-time greatest horsemen. He's the creator of the world-renowned and revolutionary equine training technique called Join Up. Monty travels the world demonstrating that nonviolent, gentle training creates breakthrough performance as you partner with your horse. Growing up on a working horse farm, Monty witnessed traditional, often violent methods of horse training and breaking the spirit with an abusive hand. Rejecting that, he went on to win 11 Worlds Championships in the show ring. Today, Monty's goal is to share his message that violence is never the answer. Monty is credited with launching the first of its kind, Equus Online University, an interactive online lesson site that is the definitive learning tool for violence-free training. Well, welcome back. We have Monty Roberts on. Hi, Dad. Hi. <laughs> I am so glad that you agreed to do this episode with us because um, 
On this episode, we have Denise Heinlein talking about advanced horsemanship and her courses that are coming up this fall. And I thought it would be appropriate for you to talk about a lesson, a horse that you trained recently. It didn't start off to be considered lessons, really, but we started filming on a telephone, as you recall. And this is a story about Sunny, a quarter horse who was being trained, her first saddle rider, being trained to go to Los Alamitos, the racetrack. And um, you noticed something pretty early on in her training that made us run in with the telephone and film some of it. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit, because it's a unique, I think lots of little unique aha moments, I'd like you to tell us the arc of the story about Sunny. Sure. And I have to say, Debbie, that I I just couldn't be more excited about doing Sonny's story and the 10 lessons that we filmed um, regarding her accepting of the first saddle and first rider all the way up to that from less than zero. Um, And the reason that it is so exciting is that it takes me back to the early 1940s when I first started to do all of this. And then measure the kind of things that have happened since that time. And I have a lot of things to say to you about how I have categorized horses coming to me to go through this process. But what a fantastic filly Sonny has been for me. I just absolutely fell in love with her on about the third lesson. So you can go back and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. But before that, before, how did you first meet Sunny? Because I believe you were working with horses in the round pen, working with some other thoroughbreds that were here in training. Um, and then you got, you, you asked for Sunny to be brought out to the round pen, as I recall. And it was going to be your first look at her. And it took a little yeah. while to get her caught up, apparently. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's to say the least. Um I was working in the round pen, and I don't remember who I was doing or what it was going on there, but uh, I was working in the round pen, and I sent one of my fellows over and said, bring me that chestnut filly in stall number so-and-so. Her name is Sunny, and um, I just want to meet her and see how things are going. And then I did another horse, and I think I was on my second horse when I went, hey, what's going on here? I told him to go get Sonny. And I know it had been a half an hour and it'd probably been closer to an hour. And I finished the horse that I was doing and went out and they said, sorry, Monty, but they can't catch her. I said, what? They can't catch her. I said, yes. Uh, She's not out in the field, is she? No, she's in a stall. What? They can't catch her in the stall. No. And I said, they've been an hour. And he said, the guy that I was talking to said, yes, and we have three guys in there Mm -hmm. and three people can't catch her. Oh, my word. I went over there and it was my first time to get to know who Sonny was and what she was, et cetera. And I, I have to tell you that in... In this 86 years, um, 83 of which I've been, you know, riding horses and training horses, etc. It's true. I was showing my first horse when I was four. Most people know that. Mm-hmm. But in all that time, I don't think I have ever seen a domestic horse that was apparently broke to lead and, you know, uh, weaned from its mother and so forth that three guys couldn't catch in the stall in five minutes, let alone an hour. And I have come to kind of categorize horses coming into me as to where they are. And a horse that's domestic and taught to lead, and you can pick up the feet and so forth and so on, but has never had a saddle or a bridle or a rider on, I call that a zero with a domestic horse. And believe me when I tell you that Sonny came in at way less than a zero, yeah, way below a zero. The Mustang 
would be like, let's say, minus 10 yeah. on a Mustang that you, you never had a halter on and never been touched by a human being. That's way on down there. And Sonny had had those things, but now they couldn't catch her. Three of them couldn't catch her for an hour in stall. So I, I said to you at that time, Debbie, wow, what a uh, filly to do lessons on. Let's let's start at this less than zeros thing. And all they had was a camera there to mm-hmm. shoot with, but they fortunately they they got it. And the three men were in there trying to catch her, and you couldn't catch her. And I, I don't think I slept that night because <laughs> they, um, we finally caught her. And there's some film in the first lesson, and there's ten of these lessons. There's some film in the first lesson, but it's pretty, you know, rudimentary. And um, that night. I realized that Sonny was telling me things have been done to me and I don't want to blame anybody from the past. And I have to tell you that Sonny is owned by two of the nicest people mm-hmm. that I've had send me horses and that these two owners came virtually every day mm-hmm. to watch Sonny. And I don't know what happened to get Sonny where she was, but I am certain that it wasn't these two owners no. that had anything to do with the negativity in the core of Sonny. So anyway, they came over and I explained to them that Sonny was telling me, I've had somebody come to catch me that has whipped me. Mm-hmm. She was telling me that. Now, these lessons will show you that I have no idea whether that's true or not, except that I believe horses more than humans. Mm-hmm. And I know that it wasn't the owners that whipped this filly, but she had been whipped. And she told me all of the things that had been done, where she had been whipped, how many times she had been whipped. She told me everything with her actions. And I went down there the next day to the stable after a night's sleep and I decided to show Sonny that I was a safe place to be. And as, I, as God is my judge, before I was finished on that day, and it was way less than an hour, maybe 20, 30 minutes, I could go and lean on the post, the door frame, and she would walk over to me mm-hmm. and allow me to put a halter on. I was a safe place to be. The lessons will show that when guys come in quickly and try to go just deal with her, then she's hard again to catch. And we do it in a in a small pen, and we do it in the stall. But these 10 lessons represent to me maybe the, the greatest items of education <laughs> in the art of training horses that we have ever done or seen. I am so pleased. Sonny is now down at Los Alamitos, and they like her, yeah. and she's training well. She's such a sensitive and, uh, horse. You know, I think oh, that was one of the unique things of how quickly she took up concepts, but how big a price she made you pay if your timing wasn't ideal. So I think you would say, how did you start her first? I mean, you started with the join up and you took your time. And I think that was almost um, probably as slow a pace for a, for going to be a racehorse on the racetrack pretty quickly here. Now, as slow as pace, I've seen you work with a horse for a while. Tell us about why that is. Well, yeah, the reason that is, is that if you take a beaten child, you don't go in and hurriedly try to tell them to forget all that and do what you told. Mm. Um, you go easy and you try to show them that there are safe places to be. And that takes time. And the round pen lessons of this mm. are so demonstrative of a horse that's finding their way to becoming a partner with human beings rather than the flight animal scared to death of human beings, which have been predatorial. 
I, I just can't begin to tell you that if you miss these 10 lessons, <laughs> you will have missed the chance of a lifetime to find out what my principles are all about yeah. and why nonviolent training is so important. Yeah, she really does. You can see every decision that she makes in these. But give our audience a little bit about um, what that sensitivity is, because I think you, it's rare when you find one this sensitive who can go so wrong, but is so athletic and so um, talented and can go so right. And I'm sure over the years, a lot of people, you know, I call it the flat forehead syndrome where they go like, gosh, I wish I'd known that with that horse I owned 20 years ago or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and they want to go back and they want to, you know, have another chance at it. Give them a chance right now to identify what does that sensitive horse look like to you? Well, Debbie, the point is that if you look back over my career, the most sensitive horses that I have had have been Johnny Tivio, Lomitas, mm-hmm. and um, um, oh, the one Debbie that um, oh gosh, Pakistan Star was pretty darn sensitive. Pakistan um, Star is one, and uh, alleged is one. Alleged would be L- great. Let's yeah. just use those. Alleged Pakistan Star, Lomitas, Johnny Tivio. Let's use that group. They were the most sensitive horses that I worked with, and each of them was thought about to be put down. Mm-hmm. Each of them True. was to be put down. And some of them, you know, like had the the veterinarian call to put them down. Mm-hmm. What's the one that uh, the lady Bugatti. here in California... Bugatti was his name. That's another one that ought to be on that list. That's true. The veterinarian was in his car driving to Solvang to put the horse down because he'd put three people in the hospital. Seriously. People really in the hospital. Broken bones and so forth. All of those horses that I mentioned were world-class champions. Uh Pakistan star won four and a half million in a six week flurry of performances on the racetrack. Pakistan star. He was to be put down and the trainer stood there and jammed his finger in my chest and said, he just needs to be shocked. The sensitive horses are your champions. Mm. Often they are dead before they're a champion. Mm. Because of people's misunderstanding. I don't know whether Sonny's a champion or not, but I'll promise you this. I will always think of her as a champion. And there's some place that she probably could be a champion. I don't know whether it's a quarter horse run 300 yards uh, or not. Maybe God didn't build her to run 300 yards. Certainly he didn't build Johnny Tivio to run 300 yards, but he won me four world championships in the Western Division, cutting and rain cow horse. Lomitas was horse of the year in Europe on the racetrack. Pakistan Star was horse of the year uh, uh, Hong Kong. And um, Bugatti went all over the world with a junior rider mm-hmm. winning championships in dressage. Exactly. Somewhere. There's a championship waiting for Sonny. If somebody finds that groove and gets there, hopefully it's quarter horse racing, but I don't know that it is. The physical ability to accomplish high scores in any given discipline is um, handed out by God. We don't have that right. All we can do is maximize their potential to want to do it. And then they take up the, the activity, the discipline, the choose. And if they want to do it, they'll give us their best. And if God has put enough talent in there, they will be champions. 
What would you say I mean, to the person? What would you say to the person who believes right now, listening to this, that they have one of those sensitive horses? Maybe they're recognizing some of the things that you're you're saying, and you're think, and they're thinking, "What do I do next? What's the What's the advice that you give them?" Well, the first thing I would say is congratulations. If you have a horse that's that sensitive, you probably have a champion somewhere along the line, some discipline or other, he's going to be a champion or she. And then I would say, the second thing I would say is watch these 10 lessons. Mm, They are the epitome of where to go to get the horse to want to do it. To do it, yeah. Now, I don't have any control over what's happening down at Los Alamitos right now. Mm -hmm. It's only my hope that they will continue to allow people to train Sonny that will cause her to want to do it. There could be mistakes made, and I'll tell you how fast she will flash back to where she was. I just told you already. That's Mm -hmm. how quickly she will flash back to where she was because the sensitivity is there. And um, in most cases, including Pakistan Star and horses like that, and Bugatti as well, they flashed back and tried to kill people for the second, third, and fourth time. When somebody said, I can fix that bugger, bring him to me. And then they use, you know, forceful techniques. Right. And back they go. So violence isn't the answer. And these 10 lessons will epitomize those factors in training horses, which cause them to want to do it. That's what I saw. That's exactly what I saw is that sensitivity will, you can either work with it or it'll work against you because she did not want to be um, controlled by someone who didn't understand her. And I think that's sort of where a lot of the, that muscle memory will go in a person who grew up with traditional methods is uh, you get to a certain point and then there's got to be some force involved because you've tried everything else in their brain, right? So Yeah, Debbie, and, and, yeah. and you know, those sensitive horses are generally extremely intelligent right? in the world of equus. Right. They're extremely intelligent. Flight animals uh, are good at staying safe, or if they're not, they're dead. So these animals had a tremendous ability to stay safe. And here's this filly standing in the stall, and she looks in the mirror. There isn't any mirror in the stall, but I'm (laughs) euphemistically saying she looks in the mirror, and she says, I weigh 1,050 pounds. She wasn't a big filly, but about 1050. I weigh 1,050 pounds. And they're sending these little two-legged creeps into me (laughs) to force me to do something. And they weigh 140 pounds. I'm 10 times their size. I am going to fix them sure enough. You just send them to me. I'll kick their heads off. I'll bite them. I'll paw them with my front feet. And they do. And the more they do of that, the more vicious the human becomes. Yeah. A, to survive, and B, to try to control. Right. And tough guys, uh, cowboys, tough guys, our business is full of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But since my first book, that's a changing Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a tremendous movement toward causing the horse to want to do it in the absence of violence and force. Mm, and it makes for champions. And I'm excited about the future for those horses that will have that ability to go off and do what they love doing. And they are generous animals and love to partner with people, too. They would much rather... Uh, join with a person than fight. Yeah, with and person. it's up to you now, Debbie. I, I can't do it anymore physically. I can't do it. I'm ah. 86. I can't do it anymore physically. And so I need to teach as many as possible. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. never been um, a selfish bone in my body. There just never has been. I have always tried to give it away. Look at Ron Rawls, student of mine, mm-hmm. and, and, and his son, Philip, and uh, Davis, uh, 
Jason, Jason Davis, Davis but also Zane Davis. Right. They're all at the top of their game. And they came to me. None of them paid me. They worked here with me, and they wanted to learn, so I taught them. Mm-hmm. And they are making millions now at being good trainers, training champions, mostly in the Western world. But I have... Uh, Simon Stokes in Germany in the racing thing. And I have Satish Simar, the winningest trainer ever in the history of Dubai. Mm -hmm. Satish Simar came to us from India and lived here. I want to give it away. And I I think that you have committed yourself to come to this farm and pick up, up that baton and continue to give it away with lessons and uh, I, I know you have, you're scheduling a call to Denise Heinlein from Germany. She came to me, a very quiet little backward sort of girl that hardly got a word out of her. <laughs> and she's, she's one of my most accomplished uh, sure uh, trainers or uh, teachers too. now mm-hmm. of my concepts. Right. And, and not only with the horses, but with veterans and people with post-traumatic stress as well. And uh, you just have to love her to death for what she's doing. And there's quite a few of them that have risen from, from very shy people to reaching out to the world to show that violence isn't the answer. And, and uh, these 10 lessons are just like characterizing yeah. in pictures the very principles that got me where I am. Well, not to be missed then. Thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about Sunny. We're going to follow her and all those sensitive ones out there. And we want to hear from our listeners, too, about their would-be champions, how they're turning horses around or how they're potentiating their their wards, the ones that they've been gifted with. And we want to know what they're doing out there, too. So, yeah, and, 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 and a big congratulations to you, Debbie, for taking up the causes of retiring thoroughbreds from the racetrack mm-hmm. at four and five years of age when they have 10, 12 more years mm-hmm. of good life if you do it right, and yet they're going on a truck off to feed dogs mm-hmm. uh, to the slaughterhouses of Silly. the North American uh, Silly. They're, they're so worth it. They're so worth it. They're so athletic yeah. and beautiful. And we have pastures full of them. I hope people will come and visit and see our transition horse program. They they um, they make our, our place look pretty, don't they, out there in the they pastures? They do indeed, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, indeed. Thanks well, thank for sharing, you, Debbie, Dad. And, uh, and your whole team there at Horsemanship Radio, I, I just, um, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Jamie. Um, Gosh, Jamie Jennings. Who, yeah, Jamie Jennings, who was uh, uh, awarded the number one person in the business of uh, mm-hmm. uh, finding yeah. a home for retiring racehorses in the United States just recently. That's it, right. It's so gratifying, and I I, I live with the uh, it's a great thanks to those students that are going forward. Leave this world a better place. The magic in. Hey, Sandy Collier, thanks for coming back and providing a tip today for us. Well, you're very welcome. I'm happy to hear that you have done so well this year and you, that you continue to do so well with not only your training, but your books and your tapes. And um, there's just got to be so many things to choose from. I don't even know where to start. But I'm going to ask you about something that I think we can never talk about too much because I don't hear enough about it, which is the horse's brain. And training both sides of the horse. I, I noticed you in your book, you mentioned training both sides of the horse. Can you tell us uh, what you mean by that and what, what we could do with our horses that would, uh, we'd, we'd uh, prosper by that? Sure. Um, it's almost like you own two different horses. You have a right horse and you have a left horse. And they're very different, and they actually have to be trained a little differently. A lot of people say, well, you know, they have a good side and a bad side, and the good side, or the bad side, you have to practice whatever it is you're doing, you know, twice as much as the good side. I just think that that's all, um, I, I found that to not be true for me. I feel that a horse has a stiff side and a hollow side, and in about 80% of the horses that I ride, the left side is stiffer 
than the right side. And what that means is when you turn to the left to, say, spin or turn a barrel or turn a cow or anything like that, they're going to turn faster, but they're going to turn stiffer. They'll almost want to lead the turn with their shoulder instead of with their nose. When they turn to the right, they're hollower, which means that they have more natural sort of innate bend, but in the long run, that ends up pampering them. So they they really don't have a good side and a bad side. They're both sides need work. You need to make the stiff side hollower and the Mm. hollow side stiffer so that you have a more ambidextrous horse. Mm. Are, Are you okay with that so far? Yeah, that's interesting. So tell me how you do that. Well, there's lots of things that you can do to to get those two sides working um, more balanced. Uh, I do a lot of counter cantering. I do a lot of um, side passing. You know, I kind of go back to the dressage of it a little bit. And it's funny, I've talked about this, the stiff side and the hollow side to a lot of different trainers. Um, I talked to Charlotte Bredal, who's our bronze medal Olympic dressage trainer. I've talked to Hayden Upton, who's chiropractic bazillions of horses and, and guys mm-hmm. that have started hundreds and hundreds of colts. And, and it just hasn't really been thought through that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but nobody's really put it into words. So I tried mm-hmm. in my book, Raining Essentials, I drew some diagrams of how it felt to me. Um, and and my thoughts are a little unorthodox and totally unproven, so I, I won't even say them on the air, but it is a training mm-hmm. phenomena that, that everybody really feels and, and realizes. And, and the bottom line is it doesn't matter what caused it. You know, people will say, well... The, you know, the horse, when they lay in utero, you know, they get twisted mm-hmm. up or you always approach them from the left side. And so, you know, there's all those excuses. Or we're right-handed, so we're heavier with our right hand. There's mm-hmm. all those things, but I don't think any of those hold water. And the bottom line is it doesn't matter. It is yeah. what it is, and you have to train, you know, what it is. So mm-hmm. um that's the bottom line. If your horse is stiff on the left, you have to make that soft suppler. And if they're that side suppler, and if they're hollow on the right, that's going to slow you down too. So you have to kind of straighten that side up a little bit. And mm-hmm. it and it goes through all the different maneuvers that we do. When you start to spin a horse, he'll turn more naturally to the right, and it'll feel really good because he's got that nice bend. And he'll step across. But when you go to speed it up, you can't because he's too bent. He mm-hmm. can't flatten himself up and move his shoulder. But to the left. He'll start to spin. <clears throat> that side will be harder, but he'll he'll end up spinning faster that way. Mm. And most horses lope straighter on the left lead, and they lope more like a dog, kind of cocked on the right lead. So most people, when they have the uh, opportunity or the ability during a pattern, you know, to choose their lead, naturally they will always choose to lope off on the left because the horse lopes straighter, so he's probably going to stop better. So it's just it's something that we all feel, but we just haven't you know really thought about a lot. I think. So we still need to quantify it at some point, so that we we can uh, train people. But you're not sure exactly why it happens, but it just happens. Yeah, well, I, I mm-hmm. think what I think what it is is that they're left eye dominant. I think that that's what causes a little kink in their neck and causes them to look at life through, you know, a, a, well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It gives them a little tweak in the neck to to be that way, and so that's what kind of causes everything to happen all the way through their body. But I have, you know, I don't have any proof of of anything yeah. like that. So the bottom line I is, t- we just have to train it and ride it and love it and enjoy it because there are horses, and that's the way they are. That's great. That is great. I love that. Let's coin that one right there. That's a good one. Well, thanks again for joining us again, too, Sandy, and uh, coming back for a tip. I'd love to have you on again and and see how your year goes and follow you because you're a great teacher and a great trainer. Well, thank you very much, Debbie. It was my pleasure. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. We're the Healthy Critters Crew. I'm Tigger. I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. If you're a horse lover, dog lover, cat lover, llama lover, chicken lover, parrot lover, paw and hooves and feathers lover, Healthy Critters is for you. 
We have fascinating guests, nutrition tips, information on various critters, and the only talking Pomeranian dog on the radio. Hello, everyone. Join us for our bi-monthly laughter-filled romps on HRN. Brought to you by Biostar U.S. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. In August of 2021, he will be in the introductory exams from 16 to 20, August 16 to 20, and then 22 to 24. That's a three-day module. That's the introductory course module two called Join Up. And then 25 through 27, we have another one of those modules called Module one, first steps to Monty's methods, a lot of dually work, a lot of groundwork. And then August 29 through 31 is the third module called Longlining. And then in September, we have one through three. The Of course, we've got to get module four in there, preparation for the intro exams. And that is leading right up to that first leg of the certification process. So that's September one through three. And then on September six through 10, of course, we set you up for the introductory exams. We're getting a lot of people through the certification process. I'm really proud of them. And then in October, we have uh, October 4 through 21, we have the advanced course. And we also have an advanced course September 13 through October 1. That one's full. So the And the advanced course is probably, it's just about full by the time this comes out, I think, too. So in October 22 through 24, we have a three-day horse sense and healing for first responders and veterans. And in November, we have 8 through 19, we have the long version of the introductory course of horsemanship. And then those long-term planners out there, if you know anybody who is a veteran, first responder, EMT, police, trauma nurse, anybody in that category like that, um, we like to say that they might be suffering from post-traumatic stress injury. It's an injury, not a disorder. And that would be December 10 through 12. So let us know about that. And if you couldn't put all of that to memory, I know I couldn't because there's a lot going on there. You can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com or you can call Flag Us Up Farms at 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, episode 189, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's guests and topics. We love your feedback. Great place to give us that feedback is on social media. Monty Roberts' Facebook page is, of course, Monty Roberts, the one with the little blue checkmark. And his handle on Twitter and Instagram is Monty underscore Roberts. And, of course, go to the go get the app. And if you have done that already, because you've been, been listening to us tell you to do that for a long, long time, you okay. have friends who are a little bit tech savvy or a little less tech savvy than you are. Yeah. yeah. Very gently and quietly take their phone from them, go to their app store, and download it for them, and they will thank you later. Yeah. You can also listen on your favorite podcatcher. Woohoo! Yes. And I love the Horse Radio Network. Thank you, Jen and Glenn, for starting this too. And many thanks to our sponsors. That's Hands On Gloves and Monty Roberts University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network too at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>